Good morning, church. Uh, it's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, just a little bit of background on myself. Uh, your pastor, Jordan, I've known him for almost 10 years. Uh, next year will be that 10-year anniversary of our friendship. Uh, he's been such a good friend to me, and I'm thankful to have known him that long and to hear just about what God is doing in your church body uh, and hear those stories. Um, I am currently working on a Master's of Divinity and Biblical Counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest. That's, that's where I am currently. That's what I do. Uh, I counsel on the side in an internship, working on growing in those skills uh, and how to counsel others well on the foundation of the Bible. Uh, and in my classes, uh, working on growing in that practice of counseling, uh, we do a lot of we have a lot of conversations on just different counseling principles, uh, both in the secular world and the biblical world. And how do we look at these through this biblical lens and think about them critically? And one such practice that we talk about a lot is this idea of narrative therapy, also referred to as restorying. Some of you may have heard of this practice before. Uh, I think Stephen Madigan describes it well, who's a secular therapist. Uh, so restoring, it's this, it's this therapeutic notion of restoring creates the possibility that change is always possible. Therefore, any totalized description of a person's past, present, or future can be reconfigured, recollected, and re-remembered differently. To Madigan and many other counselors, understanding one's story within this context of past, present, and future is important. You need to uh, have this pivotal point uh, of, of interpreting and reframing the story to better understand one's life and how you move forward and how you change. And see, I, I think we're all aware that stories are powerful. Um, we've, we've been impacted by different stories throughout our lives. Um, and, and humans have this funny way of using anything and everything to interpret our stories, to give them meaning and uh, a foundation. Uh, just a couple days ago, my family and I were watching a movie, and in this movie, uh, the main character was making food throughout the movie. Probably 50% of it was her listing off ingredients, uh, making a recipe, meticulously listing how she walked through the steps of making this food, um, and then presenting it. Uh, and ultimately, the, the movie, it felt kind of like this, just a cooking show. Like, that, that's all I'm watching. But really what the storyteller was doing in the midst of this character's life was showing how she's processing her past uh, through this food. She was connecting the recipes to memories with her mother. She was creating new memories with her friends as she made this food. And then she was also trying to grasp at some hope for the future as she was making these recipes. And see... Um, Madigan, that, that secular therapist I mentioned earlier, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't think he's a follower of Jesus. Uh, this movie that I just mentioned, I, I don't think it's Christian in nature by any means, but I do believe that there's something profoundly biblical about some of the themes talked about in these uh, concepts. This idea that we need something to make sense of our stories. You know, our past, present, and future aren't just disconnected bits. They're this one overarching uh, narrative that needs to be interpreted and made sense of. So, I'm gonna do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, now that Christmas has passed us, I'm actually gonna go back and look at a passage that's typically talked about within the context of Christmas. I love that uh, we still have these Christmas decorations up because <laughs> we're gonna be looking at uh, Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 55. 
Um, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll, we'll jump in there in just a second. Um, but just to give a little bit more context, so Mary uh, is the mother of Jesus. She's just been told this news that she's going to bear this Messiah, that he's coming. She goes off and she visits her cousin Elizabeth and then ultimately sings this song of praise that we were looking at this morning. And the main idea that I want to be focusing on is that Scripture reveals to us that God's character and goodness give new meaning to our stories. So before we jump in, I want to pray over us real quick. God, I thank you so much uh, that you are a God who gives new meaning to our stories. Uh, and I pray that as we dive into the word uh, this morning, that you would speak to us, that you would show us more of who you are, uh, your character, your goodness, and your heart for us. I pray um, that any words that I speak that are not of you uh, would go in one ear and not and out the other, God. That you would... Um, just plant what you need to plant this morning. Uh, you would encourage, uh, and you would strengthen your body here. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So you want to look with me uh, at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This passage is a rich and a beautiful song of praise. It's actually the first of three songs that we see in the opening chapters of Luke. There's this song, uh, and then uh, later in the chapter, we see Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, offering this song of praise after uh, his son is born. In chapter 2, we'll see Simeon, uh, who's been promised that he would meet the Messiah before he dies, uh, singing this song after meeting the child Jesus in the temple. Mary's song uh, really sticks out as one that is super personal um, and profound, and especially within the context of what we know about her and who she is in this story. Mary uh, is only engaged at this point, and she's been told that she's going to bear this Messiah. Uh, and so in that context, she offers up this song. And I think there's three specific things that we can learn from Mary uh, in this song. Uh, first, point number one. See, God's character and goodness are evident in the present. In verses 46 through 49, we find the most personal words of Mary's song. Uh, she talks about her own state in the midst of this story. Uh, there's, there's these two kind of distinct phrases where she talks about uh, how her soul is glorifying the, the Lord and her spirit is rejoicing in God. And see, these two phrases, this, this soul and this spirit together, are this kind of really emphatic way of saying, my whole person, my whole body is enraptured in this worship and this praise of my God. Look what he has done. This is the moment I'm living in. This is what I'm excited about. This is what is real to me. The long-awaited Messiah is coming, and I get to play a small part in that. Like, that's worth celebrating. Now, the song actually comes off as a little odd if you look at the context surrounding uh, Mary, especially if you're unaware of the, the context and the cultural 
uh, side of things of what the Messiah means. Um, her, her song of praise seems maybe a little bit out of place. Um, you see, it's culturally, um, Mary's in this place where she is pregnant and is not married. Um, from a practical standpoint, uh, she is likely going to be ostracized from society by those around her. We're told in another gospel of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, uh, that Mary's betrothed Joseph had plans to quietly divorce her. Now, in her society, um, her livelihood as a woman is a lot of the times wrapped up in whether or not she can get married. If she doesn't end up getting married, uh, her welfare very well may be at stake. And so her song comes in this place of, man, she has every right to be anxious about the future, to be uncertain about what's, what's coming before her. But yet she is sitting and focused on God's goodness, despite maybe some of the uncertainty before her. And in our own present moments, there may be a variety of ways where we be maybe kind of unhealthy uh, in our present moment and sitting and thinking about things that are not helpful. Uh, we can sit in a place of pride or complacency over where we're at. Of like, I, I don't need to move anywhere. Like, I'm, everything's great. Um, I, I, I don't need to take action with what God might have before me. We also fail to recognize that what God has given us is uh, for us to steward and to take care of. We can complain or wish away the present, wish we were in a better place, in a different place, uh, instead of being where we are right here and right now. See, but Mary's song gives us a different perspective on that. It's no matter what our circumstances, there is something to rejoice in and to sit on here in the present. And church, does our delight in Jesus and his salvation reflect that? When we're in a place of discontentment, when we're in this place of not being sure why God has placed us in this present moment, is Jesus our foundation and our reflection? That brings me to point number two. Uh, God's character and goodness can also be found in the past. Verses 50 through 55 detail a retelling of the works God has done throughout Israel's history. Mercy has been extended. Mighty deeds have been performed. Rulers have been brought down. The hungry have been filled. You see, Mary demonstrates a deep understanding of her people's history and of what God has done through them. In verse 55, she calls back to Abraham, the patriarch of her faith, and God's covenant with him. She understands that God has made this promise with Abraham, has promised for goodness to continue through Abraham's lineage from the beginning to now. Many scholars also point out that there are several statements that Mary makes in verse 48 that we should see as significant. First, there's the phrase, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. If we turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, we see that this is almost word for word what Hannah prays in this song to the Lord as she is hoping uh, to, to be granted a son uh, in her barrenness. Uh, Hannah would ultimately become the mother of Samuel the prophet. Um, we also see this other parallel uh, in the phrase, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is actually very consistent with several statements Leah makes, who's the wife of Jacob, uh, in Genesis chapter 30, and specifically verse 13. Um, you see, Leah's in this place as, as being the unfavored wife of Jacob, uh, the lesser known, uh, the one that he doesn't, doesn't really care for as much as his other wife, Rachel. And so Mary very likely is calling back to these particular women in history. 
and going, look, God, you were good in their lives. You're still good in mine. Uh, she might even be very well empathizing with their stories of being just downtrodden and, and lowly, but God's still looking upon them and seeing them as beloved children and wanting to use them. In your own time, I encourage you to look back at both of their stories because uh, I think just some of the parallels are super unique. In our own stories, there's also a tendency to live in the past unhealthily. We can look back and just wish we were back in the good years, whatever those may be. Um, Maybe we're stuck in a sense of guilt and of shame over what we've done in the past. But church, our, our past is not something that ultimately defines us. It's been something that has been reshaped and reformed and redefined by the person of Jesus. We've been brought out of death into life. Our past is a testimony of God's goodness in bringing us uh, out of sin. That brings me to point number three. God's character and goodness are continually revealed in the future. It isn't difficult to assume that Mary is at least somewhat aware of the worldly difficulties facing her in the coming days. I've already highlighted some of the cultural complications of having a child outside of wedlock. Um, But what Mary cannot fully realize is the trauma and trouble that will immediately, and really later in her life, uh, approach her. She will have to make a long journey to Bethlehem for a census, only to give birth in the only place that is free for her, among the animals. She will be tracked down by Herod and have to flee for her life uh, to Egypt just so she can save uh, her new son. And later in life, she will watch as her son is crucified on the cross in a traumatic way. Regardless of how much she is aware of these things, in verses, 38, in verses 48 and as well as verses 54 through 55, Mary, Mary has this future positive mindset. God is good. <laughs> he is uh, blessing me. All, generations will call, all future generations will call me blessed. He is doing this great work in me, and he's going to do it through future generations. And this view of God's goodness can be contrasted with an unhealthy view of the future. Maybe, like I've already touched on before, we're wishing away the present moment and wanting to be in the future. Um, Maybe we're riddled with anxiety and doubt over what God might be able to do. Uh, Maybe we don't believe or trust that his goodness will come through in the future. Or maybe, as James 4 uh, points out, we have this negative view of the future that is portrayed in this meticulous planning of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to control Uh, what the future holds. But instead, God calls us uh, to faithfully uh, give that to him. He is Lord of the future, just as he is Lord over the past and the present. We serve a big God who can do great things despite what uncertainties the future may hold. He's a God that will ultimately wipe away every tear. All the pain of this world will be taken away by him. That is the future hope that we hold on to and that we get to share with others. So as I wrap up, I want to reemphasize, just in Mary's song, how she is not the focal character. This story that she is crafting has God as the center character, the one who is moving and working in her life as well as others. Now, I think it's important to note that this song doesn't ultimately change Mary's circumstances. There's still some difficulties in her life, uh, but, there's a, but this song is a beacon of beauty in the midst of her circumstances. It isn't necessarily prevalent here, but there are various other points in Scripture where God welcomes us um, 
in our pain to express that to him, especially in the Psalms, uh, to cast our anxieties on him, to voice the difficulties that we're going through. You see, pain is a real thing. Sin still affects us daily. The last thing I want you to hear this morning is that just simply singing a song like this will make your pain go away. This isn't the prosperity gospel. (laughs) This is just the trueness of who God is in the midst of hardship, in the midst of goodness. See, God's character and goodness give new meaning to our stories. In the midst of pain, in the midst of great joy, um, he's the focal point, the salvation that comes into our lives. As we wrap up, I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I really believe that all of Scripture is littered with these themes of past, present, and future, and what God's character means in the midst of those. But I see really uh, how our own stories are reflected in this specific passage. So you want to read with me. Uh, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I love how this passage uh, it just captures those themes. That, I mean, our past is death, <laughs> is sin, uh, but God ultimately re- redeems that. He brings us out of that into life. Uh, in verses 4 through 6, we see this new life that he offers. Uh, his love for us compelled him uh, to bring us into new life. Verses 7 through 10 just really highlight just the new inheritance that we share because of that new life. Uh, the works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. This, this future hope uh, in him as we go out and we tell others about the hope that we have been given through Jesus. I've got a quote uh, up next uh, that I really think kind of captures, captures this in a different way. Sorry. Uh, this is by Diane Langberg, uh, who's a Christian uh, counselor. What does it say that the God we worship is capable of redeeming the deepest agony, the most hideous suffering, the pain beyond words, into something that gives life and brings glory to him? But make no mistake, the transfiguring agony of agony costs Jesus inestimably. Death does not transform into life easily. Redemption costs. And whenever we encounter it, we can be certain we have stepped into the realm of the supernatural. We have been bought at a terrible price, the death of our Savior, to pay for all of our sin. That is a beautiful picture of his love for us, to be brought out of death into life, into this new hope, um, to bring life and beauty out of darkness. I think Mary just really captures this picture in her song. In conclusion, I just want us to reflect. Today's the last day uh, in 2023 
And as we approach the new year, I'm sure many of you have had conversations or seen social media posts or even posted on social media yourself about um, you know, what this past year has meant, what the future year holds. Maybe you've seen or heard conversations about like how 2023 was the worst year for someone. Or maybe how it was the greatest year. Maybe how 2024 is going to be better than the last. And all of these statements, these, these conversations people are having is, is in a way trying to craft and create a story for what 2023 meant and what 2024 will hold. And so within the context of this passage and in the context of these conversations, I want us to think critically, what stories are we telling as we move forward? As you look back at this year and you look forward to 2024, what is that story? What is that song you are singing? And specifically, I want us to leave uh, with these three questions just to reflect on past, present, and future and God's character and goodness and how that brings meaning to our stories. The first question is this. How have you seen God at work in your past? And how can you express thankfulness over it? How have you seen God at work in your past? And how can you express thankfulness over it? Number two, how is God active in your present moment? And how might you respond to it? How is God active in your present moment? And how might you respond to it? How might you pray with hope over the future and what God might do in your life and those around you? How might you pray with hope over the future and what God might do in your life and those around you? Church, we serve a big God um, who's done so much in each of our lives, uh, brought us from death to life, from past to present into this future glory with him. Uh, and as we leave today, I just want us to really reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done in our lives. Um, that being said, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer and the band can come back up. God, we praise you that you are a big God who has done great things. God, we thank you for just the model uh, that Mary shows us in this song of just rejoicing in the present despite her circumstances, of praising you for the past and what you have done in it how you have redeemed your people and brought them out of hardship, and also how you will continue to work in the future. God, how you have a plan uh, for your people uh, and your kingdom. God, I pray that we would be mindful of, of how you shape our stories as we're thinking about um, how we talk about our lives, how we talk about uh, what you have done in it. Um, God, that we would just be really focused and centered on you and the person of Jesus and the redemption you have done in our lives. The God, we would be looking forward uh, to how you're going to continue to use us moving forward. Um, how you have called us deeper into relationship with you uh, and to proclaim that, that glory, uh, that love that you have for us and for others to the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.